Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Yeah, it's so lovely to be here. Um, I have had a great week sitting out in the sun every day preparing this. Um, I, I have five months off university, so I have had loads of time just to relax in the sun. Sorry to sicken you all. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been really nice just to take time this week um, and uh, yeah, get into Mark's gospel. And we're, start, or we're in the beginning of a new series tonight. Um, Phil started us off this morning and we're looking at the servant king. So we're looking at Mark's gospel. Um, and Phil started us off this morning and he looked at, just gave us a bit of a, an introduction to this book, the context around it. And he, um, he gave us a bit of an introduction to the character of Mark and what these next few weeks are going to look like. Um, so I hope as you came in that you um, got one of these books. These are now yours to keep. Feel free to write on it, scribble on it, underline. Um, but please do bring it with you as you come here on Sundays, as you come in the morning and the evening. We're going to be looking um, at the same thing. We're going to be looking at Mark's gospel. Um, so these are yours to keep. Um, and I'm really, really excited for this series because I really love stories. And I think there's a lot to learn from stories. I definitely learn from stories. I love learning like by an analogy. And what better way to learn about God than by looking at stories about his son and what he did, what he got up to in his life. So yeah, I'm really, really excited for it. So tonight we're going to be looking at these verses here. And they're in the book. It starts under, so it's uh, chapter 1, verse 21. And it starts under the title, A Man with an Evil Spirit. And I'm going to read through them in a wee second. But firstly, before we start, I want to encourage you to do two things tonight. Um, and even to be doing these as we sort of progress over these next few weeks. So the two things are, firstly, um, as I said, I love learning from these sorts of stories in the Bible. And I know that there's lots to learn from them. And there's so much in this. There's so much content in these passages that we're going to be reading. There's far more content that anyone could squeeze into a Sunday night. So I'd really encourage you to be taking your books away with you and reading them throughout the week. Reading the passages that we've looked at. You'll know what's coming up each week. And just sort of see what God's saying afresh to you throughout the week. And the second thing that I'd really encourage you to do, and this one's a bit, it requires a bit of imagination. What I like to do whenever I'm reading through these gospels is to imagine myself there. So I'd really encourage you to do that. Like as you're reading through, imagine, well, what would it be like to be in the crowd there? Or what would it be like to be that person that was encountering Jesus? What would you be thinking? What would you be feeling? That's what I do, and as you do that, as you begin to look at these stories from different viewpoints, you can really um, sort of expand your learning. So we're going to be looking at these verses. We'll start um, in chapter 1, verse 21. I'll just read them out just so we get sort of a grip of what we're looking at tonight. So it starts with a man with an evil spirit. It says, Jesus and his disciples went to the town of Capernaum. Then on the next Sabbath, he went into the Jewish meeting place and started teaching. Everyone was amazed at his teaching. He taught with authority and not like the teachers of the law of Moses. Suddenly a man with an evil spirit 
in, with an evil spirit in him, entered the meeting place and yelled, Jesus from Nazareth, what do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are God's holy one. And Jesus told the evil spirit, be quiet and come out of the man. The spirit shook him and then it gave a loud shout and left. Everyone was completely surprised and kept saying to each other, what is this? It must be some kind of powerful teaching. Even the evil spirits obey him. And news about Jesus quickly spread all over Galilee. I'll just stop there and point out that we're not actually told anything about what Jesus was teaching. And I think there's something important there to learn. Because whilst, of course, what Jesus was teaching was going to be significant, was going to be powerful, it was just his very presence that amazed these people. It was just the character of Jesus, what he carried, that made these people say, well, what is this? He's teaching with authority. We've never seen anything like this before. And of course, this word starts to spread around the people that go and say, here, did you hear about that guy that was teaching at the synagogue? And we'll carry on reading here. It says, as soon as Jesus left the meeting place with James and John, they went home with Simon and Andrew. When they got there, Jesus was told that Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with fever. Jesus went to her, he took hold of her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she served them a meal. So Jesus is healing once again. That evening after sunset, all who were sick, who had demons in them, were brought to Jesus. In fact, the whole town gathered around the door of the house. Can you imagine that? Imagine like the town of Lurgan coming together to one place. Everyone congregating to one place and, and them all being healed. Demons being cast out. Imagine what that would look like. Imagine yourself there. And we begin to read story after story of Jesus healing. Even as he goes, we read on and it says that he goes, he got up and went to a place where he could be alone to pray. But the disciples weren't having any of this. It says they started to look for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, we must go to the nearby town so that I can tell the good news to the people. That's why I have come. So Jesus begins on this journey of healing, of meeting people, encountering different people and meeting their needs and healing them. And we hear about just a few of them here. We hear about a man with leprosy who comes to Jesus and he kneels down and he begs, you have the power to make me well if only you want to. And so it says that Jesus felt sorry for him and he put his hand on him. And he heals them. And then in the next in the next chapter, chapter two, we read this really bizarre story. I think it's amazing about this um, when Jesus is in a house teaching, and a paralyzed guy with his four friends managed to get up onto the roof, and the man's lowered into the roof. And as soon as Jesus sees him, he forgives his sins and he heals him right away. So in these passages, I've just sort of summarized them. But what you can see is story after story of how Jesus heals. But the thing about it is, is that these stories weren't just healing physically. It was also spiritually. So we see the man with the demon being cast out of him. And what I want to look at tonight are the passages that sort of bookend these verses. So that one about the impure spirit being cast out of him and that really bizarre one of the man being lowered through the roof. Because there's two things that are really clear in those passages. And the first one is, although most people were amazed by Jesus, they knew that he carried something different. He did face a bit of resistance. 
he did face resistance from that evil spirit that was crying out of the man. He faced resistance from people in the home when the man was lowered down who said, who are you to forgive his sins? He did face resistance. But despite this and despite what each of these people thought, Jesus had the authority to heal and he carried a a divine authority and it wasn't something that the people were used to. And that's what I want to look at tonight, this authority that Jesus carried. It was a servant authority. And this word authority, it means it is free or it's permitted. Jesus carried a sovereign authority. He was free. He was permitted to carry out miracles. He was free to heal. And others around Jesus, such as like religious leaders, teachers of the law, they also had authority, but it wasn't the same as this. Their authority came from how much knowledge they had. It says in these passages that they would have been teaching the law of Moses. That would have been the Torah. And their authority would have came from how well they knew this, how well they adhered to this, or how well they kept in the lines. But the thing about Jesus was that it was a different type of authority. It didn't come from how much knowledge he had. It didn't come from who he knew. It didn't come from the, the links that he had. But his divine authority came from the fact that he was the son of God. And no amount of knowledge or position or power could override that. And in a sense, it wasn't just that Jesus carried authority. It wasn't just something that he carried. It was that Jesus actually was the authority. He was the authority. And as I was preparing for this in the sun, I read this and I thought it was amazing. Summed it up really well. It says, in a worldly sense, Jesus did not have any power at all. He was not a worldly king with political or military power. He was not of the priests who had the power in Roman Judea. He was not even a scribe with the authority of Jewish tradition. The only authority that he had was the supreme confidence that what he did and what he said was God's will and God's truth. His authority lay in the sheer power of his words and in the example of his deeds. Jesus was the authority simply by being. Jesus was the authority. And whether they liked it or not, people knew this. They could sense it just from being, like around him, just from being in his presence. People could sense this authority because what he did and what he said, it wasn't done lightly. Everything that he did and said had significance. And it's really interesting to see, actually, as we look through those passages, that the evil spirit that we read about in um, chapter one actually knows this. Even that evil spirit knows this. Because if you think about it, and if you pay attention over these next few weeks, what you'll notice throughout um, this series is that Jesus is called a lot of things. He might get master or Lord or teacher. But whenever the evil spirit is crying out of this man, he says this. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That evil spirit actually calls Jesus the Holy One of God, Jesus of Nazareth. It knows that Jesus has authority. It recognizes the authority and it knew exactly who Jesus was. 
And we read about that again. It says in James that even the demons believe this, even the demons believe that there's one God and they tremble in terror. But the difference between this impure spirit and each of the other people that we've heard about that encountered Jesus is that this impure spirit didn't allow this authority of Jesus to reign over it. Yes, it knew, it knew exactly who Jesus was. It knew that he was the very son of God. It knew the power that he carried. But it refused to allow this, his authority to reign over it. And that's why it says that Jesus rebuked it It says he told him to be quiet and he cast it out of the man straight away. And what we see throughout the rest of these passages is story after story of people allowing the authority of Jesus to reign over their life. And what can happen when you do that? We read about Simon's mother-in-law who's healed from her fever. We read about um, a man who's healed with leprosy. We read about a paralyzed guy who can now walk. We read story after story, crowds of people healed because they were the ones that accepted the authority. They were the ones that allowed this authority to reign over their lives. And I want to just look at those three examples in particular and see how they actually did that. How did they go about allowing the authority of Jesus to reign over their lives? So if we start off, we look at Simon's mother-in-law. It says in verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they left immediately and told Jesus about her. So he went to her, they took her hand and they helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. See that it says as soon as they left and immediately they told Jesus. It wasn't just a, a last thought. It wasn't just, well, well nothing else has, has worked. We'll better, we'll, we'll, try, we'll try pray. We'll try and get Jesus on the scene. No, it was immediately and as soon as they left the synagogue. And they did so with such speed because they had faith that Jesus was the one that was going to heal. Jesus was the one that was going to restore her. And we see with the man, the man with leprosy, It says that he begged, he was on his knees begging Jesus. He says, you're the one that can make me clean if only you want to. And actually, if you look at Matthew, we read about the exact same man. It says, suddenly a leper walked up to Jesus and threw himself down before him in worship. He threw himself down before him in worship because he knew that Jesus was the one that was going to be able to heal him from this leprosy. He worshipped Jesus. He knew his authority. And this would have been more than just physical healing from leprosy. Because when, when you're living as a leper, you were cast out from society. You had to live in the outskirts. So when Jesus comes and touches this man, it means that he can now restore relationship. When he's healed from leprosy, it wasn't just a physical healing. It means that he can now come and rebuild relationship. He can start to live in society. So this simple touch from Jesus completely transformed this man's life completely turned it around and for the paralyzed man I love this story because I think it's just so bizarre Um, and I think it's quite funny if we look at it because you can imagine like imagine trying to watch these four men in the heat of the day surrounded by crowds lifting up a guy onto the roof you can imagine that this wasn't an easy task they probably didn't have very good equipment. The man probably wasn't on the mat very securely. So imagine as four of them try and lift him up onto the roof. And as they get him up onto the roof, they begin to dig a hole in the roof. 
It wouldn't have been an easy task, and they probably didn't even dig a hole that was um, man-sized. So you can, you, you can imagine the trust that it requires to, to get them down there. But why did they do this? Why did they take such a risk? Well, because they had the faith that Jesus was the one that was going to heal him. He was, they had the faith that he was the one that could make him stand up and walk. And so by whatever means was possible, they were going to get him into that house. They were going to get him in to see Jesus. And as we hear about each of these stories, these three examples, and it says that there was multitudes more, we need to ask, well, how does this relate to us? These are really great stories, but there's more than that. How does this actually relate to us? And what can we actually learn from it? And what I want to ask you tonight is, do you allow the authority of Jesus to reign over your life so that you can encounter him in these ways? That's a pretty big question. So I thought I'd try and like break it down a bit for you. Um, and as ever, we can learn from Jesus. How did he know this authority? How did he know what he carried? Well, he did so well, I think, as I read through this, he did so by two ways. And these are two ways I'd love you to, to dwell on this week. Firstly, he knew his position. He knew his place, and this wasn't just an earthly position. It was a heavenly one. He was the son of God. And so like we spoke about earlier, his authority stemmed from that. His authority stemmed directly from the fact that he was the son of God. So here's the first question that I want to ask you tonight. Do you know your place? Do you know your place as a son or as a daughter of God? Do you know that you're not just in God's group? or in God's team, but actually you're placed in his family. It says that in Second Corinthians, God says to you, I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters. He says that to each person individually, you will be my son or my daughter. And I'd love for you to think about this tonight. And as I said, my mind thinks completely in analogies and I thought this way would help me to explain it. Can you, Adam, can you pass me over that? Just chuck it over. Um, I thought I'd try and explain it a bit more. And I want to tell you about a hockey coach that I used to have. Um, and he was, he was one of the best hockey coaches that I've ever had. Um, and he used to be really, really good at getting you all motivated and riled up before a match. And he used to talk about your hockey top. So this is my hockey top from a few years ago. And he used to talk about how you had your name on the back. So there's my name on the back, McElwain. So that was obviously who I am whenever I step in onto the pitch. And then he used to talk about the badge that you had on the front. And this is my top from Lurgan Ladies. So it says here, Lurgan Ladies Hockey Club. And he used to talk about this top. I'll hang it up here. There we go. He used to talk about this top and about how our individual names were on the back. But every time that we put that top on, it was no longer just me as an individual. It was no longer just me by myself. But every time I put that top on, I was now part of a team. It wasn't just me. I was part of a team and I had a role to play. I had a position of responsibility. And it was whenever I put that top on that my actions now represented that top. It didn't just represent what the name was on the back. It now represented the badge on the front. And he used to say every time we went out to play hockey, every time just before we would step onto the pitch, he would say, don't, don't play for the name on the back. 
play for the name on the front. And as corny as that sounds, imagine it in the context of a match. It would say, don't play for the name on the back. Don't play just to glorify yourself. But actually play for the name on the front. Play for that badge and for the good of everyone else, for the good of that club. And so my actions, what I did and what I said on that pitch needed to line up with that badge. It needed to line up with the club. And so just as I was challenged to make what I did and said line up with my position as a player, I want to ask you this. Does what you do and say and think line up with your position as a son or as a daughter of God? That's a really challenging thought, isn't it? And it's one that I've been really challenged by this week as I've been thinking about it. And the next thing that I would really love for you to think about is this. What's your posture? Is it towards God? Is it open to him? In these verses, in verse 35, we read about Jesus. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus continually had his posture open to God. He was continually withdrawn to pray. No matter how many people he healed, no matter how many miracles he performed, no matter what he was doing, Jesus continually withdrew to pray, to seek God. And if he was the son of God, the one who was fully man yet fully God, and he was doing this, then how much more should we be doing that? I don't know if any of you, um, we had a Tabar gathering not that long ago, and there was a, a seminar on that Pete Gregg was doing. Um, I don't know if any of you were at it. And um, it was called, called apostomonastic spirituality, get that. But um, I didn't have a clue what it meant whenever I was going to it. But um, I soon learned. And at it, what he was talking about was, so apostomonastic, it was like apostolic and monastic. So he was talking about how to get like the rhythm. So monastic is like the one-to-one, the intimate times with God. And then apostolic is, apostolic means that you're sent with a message. So it means those times when you're carrying that message, when you're carrying the kingdom to people and to your world around you. And he was talking about how you get that rhythm of apostomonastic in your life how you get that rhythm really well balanced. And he did a bit of an exercise, and I've asked if Robbie and Patty will help me. Come on up. And they're going to show us. They did a game. I was going to get everyone to do the game, but I didn't know how that would work out. So, oh, really loud. If you two would stand up at the front. Move over, Robbie. Yeah. Um, And so what he got them to do is, right, I'm going to get used to to do, put your one hand up in the air, okay? And after three, I want you to both just take a really deep breath in and see how long you can hold it for. Okay, so I know that both of you are very competitive, so you want to see who can hold the breath the longest, okay? Um, I don't know, does that help? Yeah, don't, no cheating, please. We don't want to be here all night. <laughs> okay, so after three, I'm going to say um, that you hold your breath, okay? One, two, three. And now we'll just watch them hold their breath. I don't know if I should fill this. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Might just take a wee seat while they do it. 
Oh, I forgot to say, when you lose your breath, take your hand down. Forgot to say that bit. Ah. <laughs> Very good. Um, so he, he did that game with everyone. Everyone had their hands up. I was going to do it, but then I thought, who knows how that's going to go, and some people might cheat, and we might be here all night. And So I thought, we'll better just do it with those two. Um, and I know they're competitive enough to love a good game. Um, but what he was saying that was this was a perfect depiction of that rhythm, that as they breathed in, as they were holding their breath, as they were going like redder and redder, and it was getting harder and harder to hold their breath, then whenever they like let that breath out, they were so desperate to get it out, as they were holding it in, holding it in, holding it in, then they were so desperate to get it out. And that's a perfect depiction of that rhythm that we see. So as we are breathing in, as we are withdrawn to that place with God, as we're withdrawn to those intimate places and seeking him, then we are re-energized and our, our eyes are set on him, our posture is opened up towards him and we're so desperate to get that breath out then. That breath is just flying out of us. This energy is flying out of us because we want to then carry his kingdom. We want to carry out that apostolic kind of side of carrying his kingdom to the people around us, to whatever spheres we find ourselves in. And these are the patterns that Jesus set for us. That sort of apostolic monastic, that's the Patterson, or the the Patterson, sorry James, I'm thinking about you too much here. (laughs) These are the patterns that Jesus set for us. He set that perfect rhythm out for us. He knew that his posture needed to be open to God. He knew that his posture needed to be continually altered for him to go about carrying out these miracles, for him to go about healing people. And so we see that these patterns, Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew that he was the son of God. He knew that his authority stemmed directly from that fact. He knew that he needed to be constantly looking to God. He needed to be constantly altering his his thoughts and his eyes, looking to him so that he could go out and bless people like never before. And so if we're doing that, if we are constantly looking at ourselves and thinking, okay, I am a son and I'm a daughter and what I need to do needs to line up with that fact. What I do needs to line up with the fact that I'm a son and a daughter. And I need to constantly look to God. I need to constantly be withdrawn to those places. When we do that, then we can withdraw. Or Sorry, we can't. If we do that, then we can encounter Jesus in a way like never before. And the thing is, even if you don't have a physical ailment, these stories are all about healing, all about healing um, like skin conditions and, and paralysis. But even if you don't have a physical ailment, you can still encounter Jesus in a, in a really amazing way. Because what we see is that Jesus didn't just heal physically. Um, and as I say, I love whenever I read these stories just to let my imagination go. And I want to bring you back just to look at Simon's mother-in-law. Just as we finish up to look at Simon's mother-in-law. And it says, if we look at the verses, it says that she had a fever. And it says that her sons brought, her, brought Jesus straight away to heal her. And it says, as soon as she was healed, it says, Jesus went to her. He took hold of her hand and helped her up. And the fever left her, and she served them a meal. 
And as I read that, what I thought of was that she was the sort of woman that really loved to look after people because as soon as she was healed of this fever, as soon as she was back to herself, she straight away was serving them up a meal. I imagine her to be, you know, that sort of Mrs. Doyle kind of figure from Father Ted, <laughs> constantly asking if you wanted a cup of tea. I imagine her to be that sort of a woman because straight away, she wasn't feeling sorry for herself. Straight away, she said, do you want something to eat? Let me get you something. And I feel like that was her heart's desire. She just really loved looking after those boys. She really loved just serving them up a good meal. That was what she loved to do. That was what completely made her heart sing. And so when she had this encounter with Jesus, when he healed her from that fever, it was more than just a physical healing. What he did there and then was restore her so that she could carry out her heart's desire. So she could do what she really loved to do. And so this is what I want to leave you with tonight. And Lee and Chloe can come up. I want you to be thinking about these questions that I've looked at. Do you know your place as a son or as a daughter of God? Is your posture towards him? Do you allow the authority of Jesus to reign over your life? Feel free to write these down or to take a picture of them. Because I'd love for you to be thinking about these throughout the week, be talking about each other with them. And be thinking just from these questions, If Jesus can restore Simon's mother-in-law to who her true self is, then how can Jesus restore me? If I allow myself to submit to this authority, submit to the authority of Jesus, then how can he restore me? I'd love for you to be thinking about that during the week. Talk to each other about it. You can come and talk to me about it. I'll be all ears. Um, And yeah, I'd just love for you to be thinking about that. And challenging yourself, do really challenge yourself this week. So let us pray. Yeah, Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your son Jesus. As fully man and fully God, but you sent him to walk the earth, to lead the way for us, to show us how to truly live. And so, God, would you just help us to learn from this? Would you help us to look at these passages and to learn about what it is to live your way? So, God, would you help us just to to bend our knee, to submit to the authority of Jesus? Show us what that looks like. Would you show us how to do that in our lives and show us the, the joy and the peace that it can bring? God, we're here to worship you and to praise you alone. And we pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.